0: Hi folks, this is Chris. Just a quick content warning. This episode contains violent and disturbing imagery, as well as discussion of suicide. If you or someone you love is having thoughts of suicide, there is help available. Please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, toll-free, at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Free and confidential support is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also visit them online at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Don't wait. Call now. All right. Here's the show. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 124. Hey there, folks. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction for your listening pleasure. So, let's get started with today's story. This week I'm bringing you the conclusion of my story, Troubled Minds. If you haven't listened to parts 1 through 3 yet, go back to episode 121 and catch up before continuing on with this week's story. Abby Preston is a powerful young telepath who is plagued with morbid visions of suffering and death. She has come to St. Teresa's School and Halfway House because a friend told her that she might find out the root cause of her visions there. Abby soon learned that this home for troubled youths had been facing a rash of suicides among its residents. While exploring the school's grounds from the Vantage of the Spirit World, Abby discovered a nightmarish creature feeding on the emotions of the girls while they sleep. This spirit creature tormented its victims by making them relive their worst memories over and over again while it fed on their fear, their anger, and their pain. Abby tried to confront the creature, but it was immune to her psychic attacks. The nightmare retaliated by making Abby relive her own worst memory when Victor, the father of her child, had attacked her and murdered their baby in the womb. Abby has an ally in her fight against the nightmare, Jenna Hartman, a young succubus who has been living among the school's residents in the guise of a tiefling girl. Jenna has been feeding on the life force of the other girls in the school by having sex with them, and Abby believes that this activity is what drew the attention of the nightmare in the first place. Jenna is horrified at the thought that anyone has gotten hurt because of her. After talking to Mother Anna, the headmistress of the school, Abby had an inspiration for how to stop the nightmare, but she needs Jenna and her succubus powers to make it happen. Whatever the plan is, Jenna doesn't like it. She's worried that it will bring her too close to her own dark side, which might lead the Lightbringers to come after her. Worse yet, she's afraid that she might enjoy it too much. Abby assures her that she won't let things get out of hand, and this is the only way she can think of to stop the nightmare. Like it or not, they need each other's help to put an end to this monster, once and for all. Troubled Minds A Tale of Metamorph City Written and Read by Chris Lester Part 4 They spent the rest of the day, between chores and afternoon service, passing the word to the other students. There was going to be a big, important meeting tonight in the TV room. They had to be there, and they weren't to say a word about it. They allowed the rumor to spread that they had a special memorial of some kind planned for Clarice. Abby spent what time she had left hunting down every sister she could find, and placing some very clear instructions inside their heads. Come evening, Abby took her pillow and laid down on one of the couches in the TV room, as soon as they had verified that all of the staff had fallen asleep, per Abby's suggestions. At first, she was tense and nervous, but she closed her eyes and ran through the meditative exercises she had been taught, willing herself into a relaxed, passive state. She kept hold of a few threads of self-awareness, just enough to ensure that she would remain lucid, and then let herself fall into sleep. When the dreaming began, she sat up and looked around. The room looked much as it had last night, a chamber made of bones, with a carpet of soft flesh beneath. She rose from the couch, stepping out of her body, and watched as Jenna began to gather the students. A bright collection of human and near-human auras began to fill up the room, many of them making passing glances at Abby's sleeping form on the couch. Fortunately, Abby was trained enough in lucid dreaming not to be easily awakened if she didn't want to be. Soon, nearly every student in the school was gathered there, sitting on chairs, couches, and a large amount of floor space. More than forty young women, with Jenna standing in the middle. They filled the room to capacity, and stretched beyond it to fill the hallway for a good distance to either side. Abby noted with relief that the few girls under thirteen— and those who were in the late stages of pregnancy did not make an appearance. Abby and Jenna had decided that they were off-limits for their own protection, and Abby had given each of them a strong compulsion to go to sleep early. She was just glad to see that none of them had resisted her instructions. Abby spoke, projecting her thoughts so that all the assembled students could hear her. "'Listen up, ladies,' she said. "'This is Abby.' I'm in a lucid dream right now, and you can hear me because I'm a telepath. You'll forget all about that when this is over, though, so don't worry about it. Jenna and I called you here because we found out why our friends keep dying. I don't want any of you to panic, but you need to know this. There's a monster from the dreamlands that has decided to make a nest here, and it's been feeding on our emotions while we sleep. That's why some of you keep having nightmares. The good news is, I figured out how I can kill it. But to do it, I'm going to need all of you to help me. She paused, giving the students a chance to assimilate everything. Many of the girls turned and began whispering amongst themselves, clearly unsettled at the voice that had appeared in their heads. At the same time, Abby sent a mental whisper to Jenna. As she watched, the succubus began to radiate supernatural energies, smoky red tendrils that reached out from her aura to touch the minds and hearts of everyone present. Once the connections were made, Jenna began sending energy through the links, changing thought patterns and orientations, recalibrating moral compasses, stripping away what little remained of the girls' inhibitions. Abby saw each young mind transmute itself into a reflection of the succubus, some of them readily and with little alteration, others with so much bending and twisting that what resulted bore little resemblance to what the girls' minds had once been. Abby's speech had been carefully timed. She'd given them enough new information to ensure that they'd still be talking about it by the time Jenna had taken hold of them. The process was both swift and so gradual that the young women had not even noticed what was happening to them. Abby waited for Jenna to nod. Jenna couldn't see her dream self, but the signal had been prearranged, and then resumed speaking. This thing feeds on emotion. It's drawn by it. So... We're going to create a little lure for it, and then we're going to waste it. Now, listen carefully. I want you to do whatever Jenna tells you to do, but when I give the signal, you all grab hold of each other's hands, or whatever other skin is close at hand, and make sure that at least one of you grabs my hand over there on the couch. That's critical, okay? She waited for the somewhat puzzled nods of acknowledgment. Even now, many of the girls were absently touching themselves or tugging at their clothing, but they all seemed to have enough presence of mind to hear and remember Abby's instructions. Of course, the suggestion she implanted along with the words probably had something to do with that. Okay, cool. Jenna, go for it. Jenna opened her eyes to slits, and in Abby's dream vision they burned like hot coals. You heard the lady, she said, bringing her hands together in a loud clap. All right, girls, let's get naked. This is an all-you-can-eat pussy buffet, and everyone's invited. The response was immediate. Like dogs being released from a leash, nearly 50 teenage girls shucked off their clothing and threw themselves on each other with reckless abandon. Driven into a state of near-mindless desire by Jenna's manipulations, The crowd evolved in seconds into an orgy of almost unimaginable proportions. Torrid red emotions swirled and became a firestorm, nearly blinding Abby with their intensity. In less than two minutes, Jenna had regained all the considerable energy she had invested in priming this pump, and was even beginning to amass a tidy surplus. Abby shifted her dream self out into the hallway, beyond the range of the frantic activity, and began waiting for the creature to appear. She didn't have long to wait. The amount of emotional energy circulating in the area was easily ten times what she had seen last night. It lumbered out of the shadows, its long arms nearly dragging against the ground, knife-like hands flexing and sharpening their blades against one another. It came toward the orgy like a moth to a flame, yellow eyes wide in a mixture of astonishment, childlike delight, and ravenous hunger its jaws slathered with anticipation, tongue lolling out between nightmare teeth. It didn't even seem to notice Abby's dream form standing up against the wall. Abby had heard before that most natives of the dreamlands lacked the capacity to change their essential natures, and regardless of their intelligence, they would not retain learning or experience for very long. Seeing this creature now, she was inclined to believe it. It had just seen last night that it could not feed from the girls' emotions while they were awake, and yet here it was again, about to attempt the same thing. Abby wasn't about to spoil the surprise, though, so she stepped in front of the creature before it could try to reach out and feed off of one of the other students. It drew back, more from surprise than anything. Abby planted her feet, crossed her arms, and glared up at it in defiance. See something you like, big guy? The creature cocked its head and stared at her, a puzzled expression that soon became a glower of menace. Out of my way, little one. I see your mind, and there are terrors within you to make you cower and weep. Maybe, Abby said easily. Maybe not. Either way, you're not invited to this party. She knew what was coming next, and opened her arms wide to receive it. The creature seized her memories and thrust them back at her in fresh, vivid color, showing her once again how Victor had murdered their child, and nearly killed her, too. Abby accepted the pain of the memories, acknowledged it, received it as her own, but she refused to accept blame for them as she had before. I am alive, she told herself, as the scene washed over her once more. I was hurt. My daughter was taken from me. The man I had loved betrayed me but I am not to blame, and I am not a victim. I cannot change the past, and I will not live in it. By fate's hands or Eli's will, I have been spared, and it is a gift I will not squander. When the scene faded, Abby was still standing. The pain was every bit as real as before, but this time she had redirected its momentum like a combat throw, and while she had still been touched, she had not been broken. She lifted her head and sneered at the beast. Is that the best you can do? she asked. The beast blinked twice, seemingly amazed. How is this possible? it hissed. It's called dealing, dumbass, Abby snarled. Every once in a while we figure it out. The monster's thin lips curled back and it roared, then swiped at Abby with its murderous claws. The telepath shifted her dream form back out of reach. As a thought projection, rather than a creature whose very existence was ethereal, Abby had the advantage in terms of maneuverability. Still, the monster was fast, and she didn't want to give it a second chance. "'Everybody!' she shouted, stretching out to the minds of the young women behind her. "'Now!' For all their obvious preoccupation, the girls remembered Abby's implanted instructions. Instantly, a chain of skin-to-skin contacts was formed— ending with three different hands grasping firmly to Abby's own sleeping form. Instantly, she felt the surge of the entire group's out-of-control emotions run into her like a live wire. If she let them linger too long in her mind, the backlash would destroy her sense of identity and probably leave the entire group as a single, lust-driven consciousness. Fortunately, Abby had another place for the live wire to go to ground. Channeling the emotional energies from her body into her dream form, she shifted herself forward into one side and grabbed hold of one of the creature's massive arms. As she'd expected, the beast was an emotion sink, and it could no more refuse the energy she gave it than a black hole could reject a piece of matter. Of course, the thing about black holes was that if one swallowed too much matter too quickly, it would lose its ability to hold itself together— and the entire thing would simply disintegrate. The analogy proved to be an apt one. The creature screamed, a blood-curdling shriek, like a thousand nails on a thousand chalkboards, as its shadow flesh erupted in fire at the point where her dream hands touched it. Abby kept the emotional energy current flowing, siphoning off the maddened lust of the orgy and shunting it directly into the beast. The monster began to glow from within, Like a bright light behind a very thin lampshade, until the flesh was consumed from the inside out and swirled away in a cloud of steam. The thing's skeleton lingered a moment longer, and then it too was destroyed, the bones charring and warping in a sheath of flames before finally crumbling to ashes. Okay, okay, let go, let go, let go! Abby yelped, mind and body still surging with power. The girls obeyed, the connection broke and Abby let the dream fall away. Abby opened her eyes and sat up, looking out over the room full of students. Their trap for the beast had dispelled most of the ardor Jenna had so expertly initiated, and most of them were simply lying there, in contented piles, pleasantly numb. Here and there, a pocket of young women were still kissing and caressing each other lightly, but there was no real urgency in it. Jenna was lying atop a throne of bodies, so thoroughly gorged with energy that her eyes were glowing in the dim light. She looked up at Abby and smiled dreamily. "'Whew, baby,' she drawled. "'A girl could get used to this.' "'Remember, you want to stay one of the good guys,' Abby said firmly. "'This was necessary this time, but don't let it control you.' "'Yeah, yeah, I know.' And I'm going to have Ball's own hangover from this tomorrow. But for now, feels good. Abby smiled. Well, enjoy it then. We beat the bad guy. The killing stops here. Yippee, Jenna said. She turned her head left and right, casting her eyes lazily around the room. You hear that, girls? No more bad dreams. A tired cheer rose up from the group. Okay, Jenna said, lifting herself halfway up and gesturing drunkenly with one arm. Everybody no longer having sex? Go to bed. Everybody else, get your asses over here and share with the rest of us. As the group began to break up, Jenna rose unsteadily to her feet and tottered over to Abby. She placed her hands on the telepath's nightshirt-covered chest and leaned forward, grinning seductively. Look at you, she purred, idly pawing at Abby's breasts. You did all the hard work for us. I saw, you know. For an instant, when we all touched, I could see it. I think we all could. I saw you kill it for us. She leaned a little closer, her breath tickling Abby's ear. At least you deserves to share some of the fun. Abby could feel herself growing hot and damp, even more so than she already had been, considering she'd just been the lightning rod for the largest amount of lustful passion she'd ever personally seen gathered in one place. She could feel herself weighing options, rationalizing, thinking that it would really be all right just this once. She laughed, recognizing it suddenly for what it was, and raising a telepathic shield to deflect it. You were chipping away at my inhibitions just now, weren't you? she asked. Guilty, Jenna said, huskily. I'm a bad, bad girl. You want to punish me? Make me squeal? Abby put her hand on Jenna's sternum and gently pushed away. I'm flattered, she said, smiling. But I can't. When teeps make love, we lose all sense of control. What I told you before about no more me, no more you? That was real. And afterward, we pick up all the pieces of ourselves that got jumbled together and put them back in our own skulls. But one teep can't do it for two people. If I let go with you, we'd be stuck in each other's heads forever. Jenna stuck out her bottom lip in a mock pout. That doesn't sound so bad. Abby felt her smile become touched with a bit of sorrow. You're only saying that because you don't understand it, she said gently. And I'm afraid you never will. She stepped back, retrieved her pillow from the couch, and stepped over and around the remaining bodies to the hallway. She turned toward Jenna and gestured at her surroundings, where even now eight eager participants were converging on the succubus. Besides, you've got plenty of company. And I've never been too good with crowds. She smiled. Good night, Jenna. Good night, abs big spoil sport, Jenna slurred, as Abby turned and began walking back to her room. You just go on, then. Go to bed. Damn spookies things are too good for us, don't they, girls? Well, peachy-fucking-keen for them. I got all I need right here. Oh. Oh. Sarah left a little to the... Oh. Yeah, baby, that's a spot. Hey, spooky! Forget too good for us, because I got unfucking believable right here in my ho oh, hot damn woman. Abby just shook her head, grinned, and kept on walking. Apparently, dreamland beasts weren't the only creatures who never changed their essential natures. Abby removed her hand from the man's forehead, breaking the link then put it back in the deep pockets of her coat. It was still early morning, and the air was cold. The man opened his eyes, and for a moment they shone with blue light before settling back to their usual mundane appearance. He blinked a few times, brushed a lock of his short, white blond hair out of his face, then nodded. Well then, he said, his baritone voice falling somewhere between the clipped accent of the upper levels, in the mild drawl of the middle class. It would appear that everything is in order. He reached into the inside pocket of his black suit jacket, and pulled out a pair of equally black sunglasses, putting them on in one smooth, practiced motion. Superb work, as usual, Miss Preston. I knew you were the right person for this job. Thank you, sir, Abby said, bowing briefly. I'm glad I was able to help. Though if possible, sir, I'd ask that you not call me with any more jobs like this for a while. She looked down at her feet, then back up again. They're a little hard on the psyche. As you wish, the man said, straightening his tie. Also black, though in the middle of it there was a gold tie-tack in the shape of a twin cross. You know how to contact us when you're ready to work again. In the meantime, the agreed-upon sum of fifty thousand will be deposited in the collective's numbered account contingent upon your guarantee of silence regarding the entire affair. It won't leave the collective, Abby said, on one condition. The corner of the man's lip twitched slightly. Yes. Abby crossed her arms. Jenna, the succubus. I don't want you bothering her, Janus. You and the rest of the Lothanasi leave her alone. Janus paused a moment, as if considering, then nodded once. Very well, agreed. Her actions, though dubious, were taken pursuant to our objectives. Provided that henceforth she abides by our usual understanding with her people, I give you my word that no harm shall come to her on our account. His lip twitched again, though you may advise her to keep a surprise of her movements. Officially, the law considers her a tiefling, with the legal rights common to all mortals. At the moment, I see no reason for that to change. I trust that she will not give us one. Yeah, me too, Abby said. Very well, then. We are agreed. The fifty thousand will be deposited by the end of the day. He bowed. Good day, Miss Preston. Good day, Janus, Abby said, bowing in turn. They turned and went their separate ways, to two skimmers parked on opposite sides of the public square. Abby felt a wave of warmth and love radiating from the vehicle as she approached it, and she smiled and sent the same in return. She opened the door and climbed into the back seat, touching hands briefly with the other three occupants. Agent Starson is satisfied? Fiona asked, eyebrows raised slightly. No speech was used. None was needed. He is, Abby confirmed, as Brian pulled the skimmer away from the curb and merged into traffic. The money's on its way. I don't think food is going to be a problem this month. The libs sure are anxious to keep this under wraps. Rebecca said thoughtfully. I wonder if they're worried about the reaction when people find out there are things coming across that only teeps can handle. It would tend to shatter their all-powerful image, Abby admitted. Of course, now that they know what they're up against, they could probably hand the job off to Nocturna's dreamwalkers. But you're right, I don't think they could have figured out what it was without us. Imagine that, a need for spookies, Brian said dryly. Next thing you know, they're going to be demanding the right to breed and own property. As the three women chuckled, he caught Abby's gaze in the rearview mirror. Hey, brown-eyed girl, you ready to go home? Abby smiled. Almost, she said. Just a couple more stops first. Abby stood before a small white gravestone, under the cover of maple trees whose leaves were just beginning to turn. To either side of her were her three companions, adopted siblings, lovers, friends, and they stayed close and held hands as she knelt and laid a bouquet of flowers before the stone. She traced her finger over the letters, Darla Irene Preston, Stillborn, 1996 C.R. Some day, she said, smiling through her tears, "We'll see each other again. We'll hug." and we'll laugh, and I'll see what a big, beautiful girl you've become while the angels raised you for me. I can't wait for that day. She looked up, paused, felt the encouragement the others were sending her, then looked back down again. I'm sorry I never got the chance to hold you. I'm sorry I never felt your mouth on my breast, or heard your first word, or rocked you to sleep at night with a lullaby. She sniffed. I'm sorry you never got to look out from the top of the citadel or dip your feet in the sea of stars, but most of all, I'm sorry for all the little everyday moments of growing up that I never got to share with you. She paused again, wiping back the tears that were running freely from her eyes. Things don't always turn out like we want them to. I'm sorry for all the beautiful things we missed together. But I'm not sorry for all the pain and suffering in this world that you're going to miss. I know it hurt so much when you left, baby. For you and for me. But for you, that was the worst it'll ever be. She smiled again and fought to control her voice. And I hope that where you are now, you can run and laugh and play in bright, sunny fields, where someone who loves you is always there to watch over you. I hope Abba sits you on his lap and sings for you all the lullabies that have ever been written. And all the bedtime stories that ever were. I hope the angels take you flying in the clouds and, and teach you how to paint a rainbow. And then, then I'll look up in the sky and know, she sobbed, caught her breath, that it's so... So much better for you than it is for me. She said nothing for a while, just knelt there and wept, joy mixing with grief, smiles with tears. At last the sobs eased, and with deep, steady breaths, she turned her face to the sky, the sun and clouds overhead mingling with the fluttering leaves. I have to say goodbye now, Darla. I know you're in a good place, the place that's right for you. And now I have to go and find the place that's right for me. I love you so, so very much. But I've been living in the day I lost you for three years, and it's time for me to go on. I need to go and find out who I am now. And I'll let you get on with being whoever Abba made you to be. She closed her eyes and smiled. So you go on and run in those fields. Listen to the stories and paint the rainbows. And someday I'll find you there. She rose to her feet. But for now, it's time for me to go and walk in the sunlight, too. She kissed the tips of her fingers and pressed them to the face of the cold white stone. Then, turning she stepped into the arms of her companions, and together they walked away, out into the dappled sunlight. And that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. Walter Mosley said, If you want to be a writer, you have to write every day. You don't go to a well once, but daily. You don't skip a child's breakfast or forget to wake up in the morning. So, set your alarm, pour the cereal, and follow me to the weekly writing report. I wrote 2,762 words this week, over the course of three hours, for an average writing speed of 921 words per hour. As of Friday night, I have gone 124 days without breaking my chain. Most of the writing I got done wasn't fiction this week. I had a string of weird, difficult days at work, and it didn't leave me with a lot of time or energy to do my writing. When I'm too tired or distracted to write fiction, I work on other things instead, like prepping the scripts for the podcast. This week I started working on an update letter for my Patreon campaign, sort of a state-of-the-publishing-house address, which I plan to send out next week. When I did get some time to work on my fiction, I added a bit more to Operation Ibex. The manuscript is now over 15,000 words. It's frustrating for me when I have weeks like this. I feel like I know how to do better. I know it's important to make time for writing in the middle of the day because I need my evenings for other things— But with the weird challenges I had at work this week, making time for writing would also have meant staying later. And sometimes, I just really, really want to go home. I know this is temporary, and I'll find my rhythm again eventually. I know that a lot of it is brought on by external circumstances that'll change with time. For that matter, I know some of it is seasonal. I tend to get depressed around this time of year, just because of the lack of daylight. And that hurts my productivity, too but I need to learn how to work through these things and build more consistency if I want this writing gig to ever be more than a hobby. At times like this, I'm glad I have this podcast, because you, my dear listeners, help me remember why I'm doing this and keep me from falling back out of the habit of writing. So for all of you who write in or leave reviews or call the voicemail line, thank you, because those little reminders that people are still interested— do a lot to help me get back up and keep going. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension two five five zero eight two, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash authorchrislester, the fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is Aetherius. E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be out of town next week, so I'm bringing you another special episode from Balticon. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2004 and 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.